this is Ashley and Maggie and you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode we'll talk about different animals and why they're cool, from basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it, all while under the influence. tonight and luckily for her we have a special guest that was really loud i should probably monitor the sound better <laughs> i was just really excited i've got so much enthusiasm right now is it is that what we're calling it enthusiasm um, or intoxication so i was at a happy hour before this and i had my favorite as you all know if you're a dedicated listener champagne champagne so i'm feeling Nice and uh, spry. But, Ashley, you're right. We've got a guest tonight. <gasps> we do. It's one of our favorite people. Yes. Tim Curry. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm, it's one of my Smashing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Just kidding. So, we have our former colleague and resident animal specialist, wildlife enthusiast. He knows a lot more than we do. He does. Oh, he flinched. Dan Hubble, everybody. Woo! I hope no, none of the listeners are going to mistake me for an expert in anything. You're, Hello, everyone. You're <laughs> such an expert. Actually, so right before we turned on the microphones, I looked at Dan, because Ashley and I always have our laptops up, and that's how we figure out what we're going to say, right? And Dan has nothing. So I said, um, did you bring notes, or do you just remember things because you're smart? And Dan goes, uh, yes and yes. So that's who we're dealing with tonight, folks. <laughs> so uh, he's the bar that we're going to hold all of our standards to. Which um, is a shame because we're really below the bar. Yeah. We we don't have standards. Well, I pull out the notes, but they kind of give the game away because what's yes. better for a podcast than pictures, right? So um, I have a bit of a confession, guys. Uh-oh. I feel like you know, is it that you didn't research anything. So. <laughs> we, we kind of waiting it today? I... Left work early today so that I could research my animal. Mind you, she just came from a happy hour, so <laughs> I don't, I don't, the in, math's not bad enough. In between leaving work early and uh, happy hour, I was maybe at my boyfriend's house and one thing led to another and I just got distracted and did not do any research <laughs> for my animal. Great. So... So, so good thing we have Dan here to cover for Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> so normal length episode. Yeah, yeah, actually, I'll do. I'll do. I will go last, and I'll talk. I'll research while you guys are talking. Great. I like it when you don't participate. I do too. <laughs> it's always better this way. Our listeners are like, thank God. I think we all know that this is going to be great. I also just opened up very slowly a, a can of gin and tonic. Yes. Yes. Here's my review. Yep. That was a weird sip. Well, because the scent hit me before I drank it. <laughs> yep. It's very earthy. Yep. Well, that's a gin and tonic. It's not that much. Yeah, it's hard to describe. Have you ever had a gin and tonic in a can, Dan? Earlier today, we in fact. We had one today. We got it from, <laughs> it was a gift from the same show. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. It's so not bad. Both, the two of you are thespians. We are thespians. Mm-hmm. I'm not. 
not quite as drooly. Oh, this has an aftertaste. Uh-huh. It's going to linger. taste. <laughs> it's not the worst thing I've ever had in a can. You know what else has an aftertaste? This could go many places. Yeah. What, Maggie? It's only going in one what place. Is, what is your answer to that? Oh, wow. Old bubblegum. All right, so I think it's best that Maggie doesn't participate today. <laughs> We're just going to let that linger think... in the air. <laughs> let that old bubblegum linger in the air. All right, so who wants to go first? Sorry. Dan, Ashley. I think I'll go first. Yeah, that sure. sounds great. And then Dan will go, and we'll give Maggie enough time to uh, figure her shit out. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that enough time? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I will say, Whoa. I don't have a disclaimer. There's, there's not a lot known about this animal. Like, I mean... They're just pretty, like, not rare, but as you'll see, as you'll see, they're very good at camouflage. (gasps) Chameleons? Um, No. (laughs) You just sounded really sure, and I was like, I didn't, no. (laughs) Also, there's, like, I feel like there's a lot known about chameleons, or a lot, like, they're highly studied, because, you know, they can change color and shit. Let me pull up my, my notes that are relatively complete. That was like a growl. That was not the dog. It was not the dog. Um, Also, I think we should note that Dan is allergic to both my dog and my roommate's cat, and he is here. Uh, I did remember to warn him that I do. He knew this, but I was like... I popped some antihistamines before. Perfect. On drugs and alcohol. That's what we want here. This is is all I've ever asked for. Why is my mic recording everything so loudly? Oh, you know what it is? It was on the wrong setting. Oh, yeah, it was on the wrong setting. All right, so we noticed the difference in this. It's because since we could only use one mic the last two times, we had it on a different setting. I was like, where is it? Professional. Guys, this is like super professional. Um, We make sure that we deliver the best uh, show possible. Why are you rolling um, for 20 minutes? For you are... Excuse shit! Me. Okay, it's go. Been been what's your, what's, your, what's your animal, Ashley? Let's go. <laughs> Dan's got places to be. <laughs> he's already ready to leave us. He's, he's already regretting this. I think he was regretting this decision when Maggie showed up an hour late. <laughs> oh, my God. I walk in and Ashley goes, thanks, right on time. <laughs> an hour late. Oh. Fine. Dan and I caught up. We made some cheesy bites. Has, has anyone eaten these or just me? Just I've you. I've had a couple. Okay. I've had a couple also. <laughs> oh, you know why it was so high? Because I had the dial turned the wrong way. What is wrong with me? I'm usually not this awful. All right, well, now we figured it out. Good. We're about 10 minutes in, and I figured out how to use the microphone. 10 minutes and two, almost two full seasons, so. This is why we're asking you to sponsor us. Because <laughs> we can't do the shit ourselves. Hey, we're doing great. We're doing great. What are we drinking tonight, guys? Well, I'm drinking a gin and tonic in a can. Oh, you did know that. Dan and I are drinking Bailey's on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Never done that before. I Mm -hmm. did have Bailey's first. Okay. But I wanted something else with my cheesy bites. I will Mm. go back to Bailey's because it's delicious. You're a cheesy bite. All right. Um, What's your animal? Oh, are we we ready for that? Um, Are we going to guess that? So were we going to guess this? Yes. Okay, so is it terrestrial? Well, I'm going to give you a hint. Thank you. Well, we tried the hint, but you were just like, it likes camouflage. No, that's not what was happening. All right, Dan's fired already. <laughs> he has no patience whatsoever. Ooh. He's like, I used it all up waiting for Maggie. 
So, it is a bird, and its nickname, well, sometimes it is called Poor Me Ones. Poor, like, not rich, me ones, after its haunting calls. This is a bird with haunting calls, whose calls... Poor Me Ones? Poor Me Ones. It's not a, a whippoorwill. So, like, it? a lot of the time... No, it's not. A lot of times, like, bird calls are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are thought of, like... Because Like, chickadees it... are, like... Well, they're chickadee-dee-dee-dee. Yeah. But there's the one that's like, I want a cheeseburger or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? No? Teacher, teacher, teacher. See? Yeah. Uh, cheeseburger. That's one of them. Yeah. I don't know what it is, though. <laughs> it's a cheeseburger bird. Do you so, not know this one? I do know it, but not at this moment. It's pretty... It's not... They're, they're not in North America. All right. It's that not one. local. It ha- Here, ready? It has a gigantic fucking mouth. Is it the big flightless parrot? No. You you really want me to do cockapows and I'm cockapoos? Not cockapoos. Cockapows? Cockapows. Cockapow. Do you know what it is? Is uh, it cockapow? No, it's not a cockapow. How do you say it? I don't know how to say cockapow. Oh, I thought you were saying no because you knew how to say it. That's no. not what it is. It's I a giant mouth. Giant mouth. One of the large... Pelican? No. Hmm. Is, is it a weird name? Like it's something that you don't hear in every day? I mean... Well, yeah, because they're not—they don't live in North America. Oh well, yeah, that would be. All right, do you does give it, up? Does it begin with a P? It does. Got a lot of O's in it. Oh. <laughs> no, it's not just the letter O. It's like a poo, poo, poo-too? poo-toos. Poo-toos. You never heard of a poo-too? I think this is news to me. <gasps> it's not just a dish of Canadian oh, fries and gravy. It is not. That is that's poutine. 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 It's poutine. Dear, dear God. And poutine is fucking delicious. Oh my God. Mm. Anyway, for those who don't know, no poutine are fries covered in cheese curds and then gravy. It's Maggie's um, animal of the week. Uh, <laughs> a poo-too is a bird. Um, it's actually a group of the passerine birds. And they're related to night jars and frog mouths. <gasps> mm. Yes! That's that why. Sense. That's why I knew yes. Oh, that's super cool. Uh, so the family is Nisitibididae. You nope. did well. I know it's wrong. Oh. I put an extra D in there. I was close. You always put extra letters. Nisit... Nist... Nist... Sure. No one can say them. I could have just lied, but I wanted to try again. But what does the word mean? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Usually I do, but I did not write that down. But there are seven, in the, and then within that family, there's the genus Nisidabius, and there's seven species. So there's seven species of potus. So like I said, they're not in North America. They're located in Central and South America. Uh, they're exclusively a New World family, so uh, they've been here. Um, although apparently there was a study done, and there were fossil remains dating from the old... Oligocene? Was it? Oh, I don't know that era. It sounds like it could be right. Oligocene and Eocene um, in France and Germany. So apparently at one point they may have lived in Europe or a distant relative did, but uh, today they're exclusively a New World family. They range from Mexico to Argentina, but the main, most uh, diversity is in the Amazon basin. Dan is raising his hand. How kind of you. That's polite. We don't do that here. Ah, yeah. right. But if but they're I in Mexico, it. doesn't that mean they're in North America? Boom! Accurate. Oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's how good I was listening. I knew that there... I was rem- trying to remember the map, and I didn't look closely. But Mexico's mostly... not small. In the Amazon... 
the Amazon basin. I am sorry. I appreciate the correction, but I'm still mad about it. There, I liked this. I, I read that they are generally highly sedentary, so they don't really fucking move. Although... It's a good thing they got wings. But so they generally stay in one place, although, ready? Here's my Pixar movie. Although there are occasional reports of vagrants, particularly species that have traveled on ships. Can you imagine the Potu parrot? Shit. The Potu pirate? <laughs> <laughs> the Potu Pirate. <laughs> Are you laughing at my mistake or the idea of a pirate the bird? The idea of a pirate bird. Yay! That was the part I wanted you to laugh at. <laughs> I, was, I was not. Oh, <laughs> you ruined it. Well, um, at some point I will tell you to look up a picture of them. Not yet. I'm getting there. And then they look like... Don't look it up. Maggie, stop. I'm not looking up. I'm doing my research right now, guys. Where have you been? But they are very animated because... Let's get into the description. Let's do that. So generally speaking, I also like this. The way they're described is a highly conservative family in appearance because they all look very similar. So there's seven species. Very conservative. Does that mean that like, then, they're wearing a habit? Well, that's the thing. I was like, <laughs> no, I feel very like they're like kind of uh, birds. Like skirts that go to ankle length. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> they and have long sleeves oh. and bonnets. <laughs> So either they're pirates yeah, or they're like pilgrims. There's no in between. I mean, that scans. There was they're a pirate. They're always fully clothed. Pirates or pilgrims. But you know, honestly, ships. that's a card game I'd play. Pirates or pilgrims? Yeah. yeah. <gasps> Somebody Let's make it happen. It. Yeah, so they all look very similar. The main way that they can be told apart, identified, is by their calls. Otherwise, they look pretty similar. Hmm. So they range in size from 21 to 58 centimeters in length or 8 to 23 inches. So they're can be pretty small to like two feet, which is like pretty good size. Mm -hmm. But they have giant fucking heads. I guess really com just compared to like their body size, like it's like it d they don't have small heads. They have big heads. <laughs> they have long wings and tails, but the main thing is that they have massive mouth and these giant eyes. It looks like like Heath Ledger looks, Joker scars cutting back into like their like legit. Yeah. In a there's a book called The Handbook of the Birds of the World, and the guy who wrote it, his name is Con Haft, and he described them as little more than a flying mouth and eyes. Wow, I need to Google these guys. All right, you can Google now. What is it? It's a po P O T O O. Potu. Yep, yep, I've seen these Look before. Look at that face. Oh, dear God. But yeah, the best is sinister. like, what? so we'll get to a little bit of their behavior and some of the really cool things that they do Holy in their Holy shit, guys. Techniques. Guys, that's the There's... creepiest mouth ever. But it like, is... also like, cute. It's so big. It, it looks like it's just seen some kind of schadenfreude joke play out in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's something really funny and it's kind of sinister in its laugh. Yeah, uh, so they have these very large, large, broad mouths, but they're also kind of short. Like, they're very close. Like, they're not long. They're not, like, long beaks. They're pretty short to their face. Wagering predator? Carnivore of some kind? Oh, they're an insectivore. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and mainly, you skipped down to my diet, but, because uh, I want to talk about that mouth a little bit more first. But basically, they just kind of fly around like fly catchers. They, like, go out, get a bug, come back. But they their mouth's so big, they just swallow it whole. No prehensile lips. Like, so, le no prehensile lips on these bad would boys. Would you call that in any way perhaps passively feeding? I would say. um, They do have to passively, like, when, like in terms of whale sharks, when we talk about it. They're just kind of swimming along. These guys do have to leave where they're sitting and ah, like fly yes. and get it, but it's just kind of like it, it is. It does have some significant differences. 
um, much drier. They have this unique tooth on the cutting edge of their upper mandible that also, I guess, helps in foraging, but most of the time they're just swooping it up for, uh, full. They also have all these like little bristles around the top of their little point of their beak. What did those do? I didn't say. <laughs> but if you look at pictures, you will see the little bristles, so you know that they're there. Because I was surprised I didn't mention if they were like, had any kind of, yeah, like, yeah. like any kind of nerve endings, but it didn't say, so I would feel like, no. But there must be probably some sensing, because you're like looking for those flies and shit. You, you did mention they're not fully understood yet. This yeah. is true. Because, and it's not because they're, they're, so they're not highly endangered, they're just kind of rare. Like mm. there never was a lot of them. And also, we'll get into why they might be hard to spot. They have legs and feet. This is how they're described. Legs and feet are weak and used only for perching. So uh, (laughs) other than perching, they don't use their legs very often. Fairly. In reading this, I found that in one way, the potu is me. You're you're a tapir. And I am. I am. My mouth is a tapir. My eyes are a potu's. Because they have these giant eyes and... When they close their eyes, they have a slit in their eye, so they can still sense movement even when their eyes are closed. Is this only because you have a blinking problem? I do! <laughs> so anyone who knows me... Uh, well, actually, Dan, do you know what I'm going to say right now? Uh-oh. I don't know. if Maybe I, I haven't told Dan. Maybe you haven't told our listeners. Listen, I've told a lot of people this. Anyway, a couple of years ago, I went, <laughs> I went to try and get a... Uh, I went to get contacts... And after they put the contacts in, they, like, have you blink so they can make sure the contacts fit and that everything's cool. So I blink, and the optometrist just goes, mm, can you blink again? And I did. And he goes, yeah, so you're an incomplete blinker. And I was like, um, excuse me, doctor? And he's like, yeah, when you blink, your eyes naturally don't close all the way. Mm. So basically, if I do wear contacts, I have to have artificial tears, like, on hand because my eyes dry out super, super fast. But uh, naturally, unless I'm thinking about it, my eyes... Don't actually close all the way. You apparently, you can't tell, like, just in every day. Hmm. You, he only could tell through, like, that little microscopy thing that they look at your eyes. But I feel like this explains a lot. So in the event that you were under attack by predators, you would be able to sense movement even if you closed your eyes? Yeah, see, I don't think I have that skill, though. I feel mm-hmm. like there's an extra skill that I'm missing. You don't but... have big, creepy eyes like these guys do. I don't, but I eyes that are too big for my eyelids. Though it would be really okay. funny to start, like, putting together a composite of her of her face made out of all the animals that she's like, this is me, guys. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I actually really love this idea. Oh, Liz, no. can you help us out? Oh, God. So anyway, when I read that, I was immediately like, that's me. I understand. If only I had like the superpower to basically sense movement with my eyes closed. No, I just get really dry eyes. And there's a lot of creepy pictures of me as a child with my eyes like half open. And it's now, now I know why. Why I slept with my eyes half open. Creepy. Super creepy. And then in terms of what they look like, in terms of color-wise, they have very cryptic plumage, which I will, mm, I can get to, because the next thing I had on my list was their diet. But Dan already made me say they eat insects. Uh, Mainly they eat beetles. Uh, That's a fave. But they also like moths, termites, and grasshoppers. Um, And they just swallow it whole because, uh, again, their mouth's just so damn big. They just right up. But their behavior. These guys are nocturnal, and they pretty much never fly during the day. Um, But they spend their day perched on these branches with their eyes half closed, to remind you. But on, like, the edge of dead branches, like the stump of dead branches, they'll perch themselves on the edge so that they look like a dead branch. They, like, hold their body in a straight position so they look like a branch. 
That's so cool. And that's what they do all day. That they just they are, just sleep. they're remaining very still inconspicuous. Very cryptic. Just a branch. Like I just gotta sleep, guys. But yeah. it's watching you. Oh yeah. But yeah, With but it can see anything you do. Open. Yeah. So that's um, that's, the trees of eyes. That's why they're not high like their whole thing is to not be seen. And they're like pretty damn good at it. And my favorite part is that it has made child rearing a little bit easy easier so they're monogamous um and they share the chick raising responsibilities the chick will be that it takes about an egg before the chick hatches and then the uh, chick is in the edge the edge the nest and i'll put air quotes that you can't see audience around nest and then there's a nestling for about two months which is a little bit longer than most land birds land birds well they're seabirds yeah land birds terrestrial yeah we'll go with that base yeah i think it's a bad one there we go. But they don't, they are, uh, infamously don't make a nest. They find those stumps that they sit on. They find one that has like a bit of an indent and they just lay their egg in there. And then since they sit all day anyway, they just sit like a branch on top of their nest. <laughs> That's how they incubate their nest. They basically have to change nothing. Um, but then when the, since the, the nestlings are, species. what? Very practical species. Right? They've got this shit figured out. They know how to be like the ultimate lazy, but so they'll sit on it and then the nestlings, when they get too big and they don't fit underneath anymore, like fit underneath, they can't be hidden by the parents. They're white and apparently they resemble, um, clumps of fungus. So like, even if you can see them, that just looks like fungus on a tree. Cause these are their little white funky, like fuzzy things. Ew. Isn't that funny? I think it's so funny. But yeah, so that's pretty much, that's their defense is like, they don't want to be seen when they do, when they do have to like, if a predator comes after them, they don't really have a lot of predators. They do have, uh, they do do the mobbing behavior that a lot of birds do where like a lot of smaller birds basically attack a bigger bird. And then they'll also call to other birds for them to come over. But usually they don't have to fend off predators because they're just hanging on the ends of dead trees. Hmm. So in terms of conservation, these guys are pretty okay. Again, they're rare, so there's not a lot known. But I was going through and looking at the different potus. There's like the great potu, least concern. Common potu, least concern. Rufus potu, guess. least concern. Exactly. Yeah. Potu with cheese curds. <laughs> He's still on this poutine kick, people. I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, so generally speaking, these guys are pretty okay. They're not well, super well known about because they're pretty cryptic. Um, and I think their biggest threat really is uh, losing our forest because they, again, they live, they do live in North America, <laughs> all the way down to South America, but they spend a, a lot of time, most of the diversity, most of the species are found in the Amazon basin, mm. um, which yes. is, is uh, never doing too great. Experiencing a new... Uh, 10-year high in deforestation rates at the present. There comes Dan with the very sad facts. You're welcome. Um, that's, what we, that's what we hired him for. Um, we, don't, we don't pay him. But uh, He actually brought us the alcohol tonight. This is true. <laughs> there is that in this case. We also made Jill bring alcohol when she came. Guests must contribute. That's all. That's all we require. So that is... Potus. Potus. Are you so glad you know that they exist now? I do. How did you discover them? Um, I forget how I learned about potus. I think I learned about, 
I remember when I was in Belize, I learned about what night jars were. Mm. Yeah. Which do kind of similar things, but usually like on the ground. Yeah. And then I think I remember seeing a picture and it's just kind of one of those pictures that stay in it's, your head It's forever. a little ubiquitous, yeah. And then I realized that they kind of look, they're very similar look to burrowing owls, which Daniel oh. will learn is one I did a couple a couple episodes ago. They're so adorable. But I'm like, they but they're, these ones are like those, but like on something. Yeah. <laughs> they look a little bit crazier. Burrowing owls on meth. Um, um, those are but, but not, they don't live in South Dakota. Oh, but South Dakota is better than Philly. Woo! Oh, very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I got to, to share these with you. It's a quality potu. There's no the thing. I feel is like that's what he said. <laughs> is, that, is that what he said? I don't know. All right. It's, it's the joke's in there somewhere. Well, let's move on to Dan's animal. I think oh, I'm dear. almost done my research, so we're doing good, guys. Beautiful. Uh, dear me, so... So this is where Dan, you you know our podcast. You're gonna tell us some hints about your animal. Right. We're gonna try to guess it. We might not we might not know it. Also, guys, I think we should tell everyone what Dan does and why he is a credible person to be. Oh, yeah. Here. So credible or incredible? Aww. It's credible. It's kind of both. So. Oh, oh wow. Wow, Dan. Well, I meant more I like, like the like the not credible part of it and like the uh incredible. Inconceivable. Yeah, well. I think we quote yeah. the princess, I think we quote the Princess Bride more than any probably. Movie. I mean, it's like probably the most quotable movie. It is. May they never remake it. Oh, oh my Jesus god, could you imagine? Christ, don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. So, Dan, Ashley and I used to work together at a really super cool nonprofit and Dan was our resident Arctic and beluga whale expert. Yeah, wildlife policy analyst who has now turned to new pastures, not necessarily greener, but new ones. And still pretty blue. I would say a different shade, maybe. They're, but, uh, they're blue pastures, more of the oceanic variety. Ah, yes, yes. And what are you doing now, Dan? So now I work for Ocean Conservancy as their shipping emissions campaign manager. So my background is still going to be a lot of. You'll actually all get a kick out of this. Um, so my specialty is now on maritime and shipping industry issues, especially as it pertains to the climate, but I'm still involved with Arctic topics. And my first blog was about whales and how they could be affected by ships. <laughs> and apropos of nothing, the communications team at OC suggested that my second blog it could be about belugas, couldn't it? Here, you've got some background. And, and of course, I responded to the affirmative because it's a, yeah, you know, it's a specialty. I might know some things, but on the inside of my brain, I keep thinking, never getting away. You're never getting away from belugas. <laughs> and it's funny because you are one of the, like, the most uh, leading policy analysts of beluga whales in the U.S., I would say. Look at you! Like, it's just so funny, because yeah. you're the beluga man. I feel like once belugas <laughs> wiggle their way into your soul, they never leave. Not particularly, no. No, because I, I studied them in college, and then somehow found the one internship where I got to kind of talk about beluga whales. And we even called ourselves the beluga police. We did. Because mm. we wanted to take care of them. And everyone everybody, should. Everybody should. They're really So, uh, belugas, is that what you're doing today? Belugas are not my animal. <gasps> um... Do we get to guess? I yeah, you do get to guess. Yes. I, I was going to pick bowhead whales, but then I decided Ooh. that was a little too close to the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So, I guess the best way to describe my animal is it's the polar opposite of polar. all the descriptors you just used. 
Don't get held up on the word polar. I'm just always oh, kind of God there. damn it, damn The descriptors I just used? So yes. it's Which a... was beluga? Uh, monogamous. They're oh, not. They're polyamorous. Not. <gasps> or they could be... There's, there's, there's a whole range there. <laughs> um, uh, not endangered. Not endangered. Is another term you used. These so they are very, very endangered. Very endangered, frisky endangered. animals. Mm-hmm. Endangered. Can we know the uh, class? Oh, gosh. I, I wish I actually remember. Can we know? Class what? is like mammal, amphibia. Yeah, yeah, a bird. Ave, all right, we got, we got our aves. Mm-hmm. <gasps> we got another, an endangered, frisky bird. See, here's the thing. Like, 90% of birds are monogamous, so this should really help whittle it down. Yes. We already did the acorn woodpecker, which is not necessarily uh, polyamorous, but they do that multiple rearing thing. Oh, yeah, they do. Hmm. Okay. Um, can you give us a continent or something? I feel like if I do, you're, you're going to get it right away. That's so, the point. That's, the, that's, that's <laughs> what the hints are for. Uh, the hint's I, not to make it harder. Yeah. How, how about I put it this way? You said it on the, or you described it on the last podcast, but you didn't actually say the name. Well, what was his, what was the last one he, he listened to? You said it, Maggie. I said it. Yeah. You, you well, described, in episode you two? You described it on the Tapir episode. <gasps> and it's geographically fairly close to the cassowary. Emus? Nope. Ostrich. The parrot. Are you doing cockapows? Are you doing the parrot? <laughs> yes! We wanted these to be done all two seasons. So, Yay! Uh, for the listeners who can't see this, I'm holding up a copy of Last Chance to See by Douglas Adams. You told which, me about this book multiple times. Yes, which is a gem, and I'm probably going to quote from it a couple of times. Perfect. And those are marked out, so there won't be much fishing. But yeah, uh, I heard about this bird a... I'd say about five or six years ago when I when I read this book, and it's a remarkable account of basically a comedian and a wildlife biologist traveling the world to find animals that are nearing extinction. And it was written in the late 80s, and so you can actually find out nowadays, more or less, there have been a couple of series, including an excellent one hosted by the same biologist and Stephen Fry, to Ooh, revisit yeah. which animals were still alive, uh, which had improved, and which had fallen off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what? That's very specific. Yeah, unfortunately, the Baiji was one of the animals in the original publication, and God. that's sadly extinct. Aww. The same, however, can't be said for the Kakapo. No! You know, wait! Wait, everyone wait here. No one move. Ashley just darted out of the room. We're not sure why. She might have to go to the bathroom. Ah! Ah! Your socks with the Kakapo! The fuck? How do you get those? Oh, I want some. I'll send you the link later. But I have crocodile socks and basking shark socks from um, the same same thing. Sorry, I was like, I had to. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> I don't think they'll fit your feet. Otherwise, I would give them to you. They also have holes because I have very aggressive toes. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> but they're clean. I, get, I definitely give you my old, smelly, slightly cold <laughs> socks. Because Listen, it's almost Thanksgiving when we record this. It is a generous time of year. Mm-hmm. I will give you my old ill-fitting socks. I, if you listen, like if you I guys are <laughs> if you guys are interested, Ashley has got prehensile lips, <laughs> aggressive toes, mm-hmm. and uh, unblinking eyes that will stare at you while you sleep. <laughs> it's it's really it's a complete Tinder profile. Oh Ooh, my gosh! Should do that and see what we'll see what oh kind of gosh. responses I, I get. <laughs> Ninety-five percent nothing, and then five percent, a hundred percent. This is my fetish. Right? You're like, oh, sir. Oh no! Gross. (laughs) So the last thing I was going to give you as a hint, if all else failed, is that this animal is so well studied that literally every juvenile and older 
has a name and a radio <gasps> tag on it. Whoa! Name? Super cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, of course, the most famous of which is Sirocco, who... Oh, is he the one who tried to mate with David Attenborough's with, head? With Mark Carverdine, yeah. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> so, wildlife biologist from the book I'm talking about. Uh, Sirocco thinks he's people. Uh, he was very hand-reared. Oh. And so he very much tried to have sex with the back of a biologist's head. Ew. Listen, he I didn't mean, know any better. Yeah. He just did what he had to do. To start with a couple of fun facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. The kakapo is Maori for night parrot. Night Ooh. parrot! Because to start things off, kakapos are nocturnal parrots. <gasps> they Sleepy. can wake in late afternoon and early dusk, but that's unusual. They tend to prefer night hours. Their Latin name is Strigops Habro... Habroptilis. Yes, there we go. I love dance struggling. We love to watch you struggle. I should have rehearsed that part. Uh, it's better when you don't. Which which translates roughly to owl face soft feather. Aww. Which kind of scans. They originally were essentially assigned their own family. Um, they're very strange by all accounts. Yes. They're uh, abnormally large for a parrot. Uh, in fact, the largest species of parrot. They can weigh up to 10 pounds or about 4 kilos mm-hmm. at their max. Uh, they are... So it's like a house cat? Yes. Not, not, not the one who I live with. Unfortunately, they don't win the fights against house cats, which <sighs> we'll get to later. They are, at their biggest, slightly over two feet tall. They can reach 25 inches in height. Mm-hmm. They are also possibly the longest-lived bird, but we're not entirely sure. Even more than an albatross? Their life expectancy can peak over 100. Oh, fuck. I mean, yeah, parrots typically live pretty old. I don't know why I went albatross. They live to be 70-ish. I mean, you're just going for something different. Mm-hmm. Yes. I like the diversity. Indeed. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. They can only be found on three small islands off the coast of New Zealand's North and South Islands. Oh. Um, only on three islands? Mm-hmm. Tiny so not islands. actually New Zealand itself. They, well, all within sort of 10 miles of New Zealand proper. Yeah, but, yeah. but historically, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of what I'm going to talk about is going to end up being their conservation history. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, as an animal, they're both... Uh, I wouldn't call them a success story yet, but they're they're an example of how committed conservation can reverse a process. Yes. But but also how much effort needs to go into that. Yeah. And how many different systems need to play just right for things to work. Um, but I'm glad are, Dan's are, doing this one and not me. I would have fucked it all up. I would have been like, <laughs> I got socks and they're birds, and that's all I have. <laughs> I mean, they're they're pretty good on that front too. Um, I'm gonna take a description here, and this is going to be the first of the. Uh, Douglas Adams quotes here. All right. Uh, the kakapo is a bird out of time. If you look one in its large, round, greedy brown face, it has a look of serenely in- innocent incomprehension that makes you want to hug it and tell it everything will be all right, Aww. though you know it probably will not be. Oh. So, <laughs> I think I just made Maggie's soul just hurt a little bit. Maggie. <laughs> my, my head just like sunk <laughs> so low. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Kakapos really do look like an owl crossbred with a parrot. They, they have do. Uh, circular discs around the eyes, which are composed of lighter feathers that are designed to radiate sound waves. So Ooh. it helps them pick up noise better at night. Which isn't that why, like, well, owls have like whole faces like a concave bowl for pretty like, much for the same for a similar reason. Interesting. So the same applies. They also have front-facing eyes, which isn't actually very common right. in birds. They also, uniquely enough, have whiskers. <gasps> That's so cool. That's I was like talking about whiskers. You were talking about bristles. And I was. I was about to ask, 
are they kind of akin to whiskers? And then I got distracted by doing my research. Well, <laughs> you know, you win some, you lose some. These, these are all sort of low-light adaptations, because if you're running through the foliage, uh, as cacapos do, they have extremely strong legs. So the opposite of the right. Yes, yes. Not here we are again. Very um, weak legs. They can be extremely active. Um, Ooh. But they actually need to be able to sense where they're going. Uh, and as a result, they're pretty sprightly joggers. They can also climb <laughs> over 100 feet into trees. Climb. Climb. They climb. Right. With like just their feet? Yes. Do, what do the wings do? The wings are just there for balance. I was going to um, say, I don't know if you've ever seen a tree, but, but it's pretty straight up. Wouldn't but they just fall off? I believe I can answer both of these <gasps> questions with my second Douglas Adams. Yes! Oh, fuck yeah. The Come cac- on, Dougie. The kakapo is an extremely fat bird. A good-sized adult can weigh as, about six or seven pounds, and its wings are just about good for waggling a bit if it thinks it's going to trip over something. <laughs> but flying is out of the question. Sadly, however... It seems that not only has the kakapo forgotten how to fly, but it has forgotten that it has forgotten how to fly. Apparently, a seriously worried kakapo will sometimes run up a tree and jump out of it, whereupon it flies like a brick and lands at a graceless heap on the ground. The the kinder biologist papers that I read describe this behavior as parachuting. Uh, whereupon they sort of try and coast to the ground at about a 45 degree angle. Mm. But it's it's kind of the, the Toy Story falling with style yeah. situation. I was going to say, it'd be like me trying to use a pillowcase to jump out of this window here on the yeah, second floor. Yeah, pretty much. That. You're not equipped for it and right. it's not going to end well. No. Right. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I liked Dougie's description. Dougie's, yeah. Dougie's I mean, description. I mean, if you really haven't good. fallen in love with these birds already, how could you not? Mm-hmm. They have it all. They, They're they, giant. They truly They mate do. with everything. They. <laughs> I don't know. And they do it poorly. <laughs> they, do it all they're, poorly. They're, they're an omnisexual bird, depending on what hand reared them. That's fair. <laughs> Listen, we talked about this with whooping cranes. You, that's why they wore the creepy costumes. Yeah. Oh, oh whooping, whooping cranes. Whooping cranes. What do you think? She does a great job enunciating. I, I, heard, I really I don't. Heard I've looping cranes. Looping cranes are the kind that just fly in circles all day around your head after gonna... you've gotten a big bump and you fall. And, uh, you know. (laughs) All right, so moving on. (laughs) Um, So, kakapos are extremely intelligent uh, to the point where they have their own personalities. You just said that they parachute off trees. I don't. Yes. Is is there a reason for that? Yes. Um, So, we can get into some of their uh, mechanisms as well. But we've got some really lovely, unique behaviors to discuss, too. So kakapos are not fast-breeding animals, uh, as many long-lived uh, creatures will right, be. Right, right. Uh, if you can hit 100 years, you probably don't want to have a lot of kids. Oh, God, no. Mm. <laughs> well, it's just be painful. <laughs> <laughs> so typically, they will reproduce once every two to five years, okay. which actually has a lot to do with the cycles of especially their famous or their favorite fruit, which is uh, from the rimu tree, which is very common in New Zealand, or at least was historically. We've learned recently, and by recently I mean a paper in 2016 by Dr. Pamela von Hurst, uh, found that the berries are actually really high in vitamin D, which is interesting because as nocturnal birds, they're actually not getting a lot of sunlight. Oh. So you can see how that kind of like fills wow. a niche. Oh, so uh, their body is still requiring something that they know they're not getting normally mm-hmm. elsewhere. Huh. Uh, so that means that reproduction for the kakapo is very slow. Um, but that doesn't mean the males don't try every year. It just means that the results are not always <laughs> Typical male. Still ready to go. So kakapos are what you would call uh, lek breeders. They... Oh, we I... talked about lekking. Oh, shit, we did? Yes. 
would you would you like to reiterate for the audience? Um, I know I did a poor job describing it. <laughs> uh, Basically, it's like it's like symbolic territory. It's not real territory. It's like they kind of males will have like an area that's like their f- space to defend, but it's not a traditional territory. That's correct. Thank so you. In this uh, case, they will multiple males will compete for females. Yeah, um, but okay. the presentations can happen simultaneously. But the kakapos is it's described as extremely inefficient <sighs> as a form of mating. Uh, and one of the biologists that Douglas Adams interviewed speculated that the noise from a male during mating process might actively repel females. Oh, God. Based, wow. based on their success at a mating rate. I feel like this is a species that's just like trying real hard, but never quite hitting the mark. Yeah, you, the more you read about them, and, and Stephen Fry famously described them as looking old-fashioned. They look like a slightly stressed-out butler if it was a bird. Oh, they do! <laughs> yeah, like, like it's got the whole, like, 1800s-era, like, sideburns chops. going. Yeah, it's got some mutton chops going on. Oh. They, they look constantly worried. And, again, they have wings, but they don't know really what to do with them, and they fall oh out of gosh. trees. Uh, so their, their approach to behavior is... A male will set up an arena where they typically sort of dig a little hole for themselves. And they're actually looking for specific acoustics here. So kakapos will, upon making their little nest and either actually fighting or play fighting off uh, opposing males. Mm-hmm. Well, most kakapo fighting is a lot of dance and song, but it can get fight. violent, and on occasion they do kill each other. Oh, God! Whoa, that's intense. Don't they know that they're pretty few in number? There's a lot that they could learn, You to, can't do that! You know, if you could just explain to them that cats are bad, we might have gotten away with a lot more here. Oh, no. Uh, I want to kill someone <laughs> with song and dance. Death by musical. That's uh, a uh, West Side Story. <gasps> oh, God! Yeah. Yeah. But having established their territory, the kakapo will then inflate its internal air sacs until it resembles a small green watermelon. Uh, And here's where my visual aid comes in handy. Oh my god! So, uh, listeners, what you can't see is a normal-sized bird turning into a balloon. It looks like it ate another bird! What did it just eat? Nothing. Nothing. It's inflating internal air sacs in its chest. Uh, it's actually uh, weirdly similar to uh, sage grass in the United States. I was going to say, and they they do like they lek too. Very similar. Interesting. Uh, yes. Interesting. The two are the two are not related. The kakapo's closest say. relative is the kea, uh, and the I don't kiwi. Know what that is. Uh, oh, and the kiwi. We yeah. did the kiwi. Kea is another ground parrot, right? Kea's no? are alpine parrots. Oh. The only example of that. How do you spell that? K e a. They are probably the smartest bird, to my knowledge. What? No way. Smarter than turns? Uh, they're tool learning. Okay. And they will regularly oh, rip the shit out of cars because they're trying to get at what they think is inside. It looks like related to, uh, like you said, kiwi and the weka? Yes. W-E-K-A? I think that's another example. It looks like the hotter version of the kakapo. Like, it looks yeah, the, the more kaka, the kaka, It looks like, the, like, yes, like, the, it's like the hotter older brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, but to finish up the mating description, because it really is remarkable and kind of insane. Please. Uh, and I don't want to just quote all of Douglas Adams' book, but please just Listen, read it. Listen, I quote mainly no, Wikipedia, so I feel like you're already so. a step above me. So essentially, the kakapo turns itself into a biological boombox and produces a uh, throbbing sound, which is just at the edge of our frequencies. Uh, so humans can detect it, but everybody who's heard it... It doesn't really describe it as hearing. It's more like sensing like it. Feeling it. You it. feel this. <gasps> kind of like you know, like elephants communicate through sonar. Not that... sonar. That's not what it is. Fuck. What is I'm it? not helping. No. What is it called? 
I'm not helping. Oh, I mean, it's those, it's it's, those vibrations. It's not ultrasound. Like, it's the opposite of ultrasound. So. You're not going to help No. Uh, in this case, it's often described as a heartbeat. It sounds like a, like a oh, beat. Uh, um, infrasound. Infrasound. Thank or, you. Or to paraphrase Douglas Adams, it also sounds like, oh, like the opening bars to uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Dougie, ah. So I'm going to play two Kakapo songs, <gasps> yes. which are connected to one another. The first is the mating call. Uh, so you're going to get to hear what that's like. Okay. And then the second is, a, is another male Kakapo hearing it and getting really pissed off about this. <gasps> yes. Rip your headphones in a second. That's him flapping his wings. Yeah, flapping his useless wings. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what to do with these. The best part is the uh, the first call, the mating call, was simulated. So he's actually just angrily flapping at a boombox. Oh, no. So those sounds be can good. be heard over a mile away. I'm not surprised. The, if they get the acoustics just right, these can go on for night after night after night. Um, Cute. What's worth saying here is that as inefficient as this all sounds, it was all designed to survive in a very specific habitat which was pre-human settlement of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back in an era when you were mainly just dealing with birds, the Kakapo's two leading predators were the Isles Harrier, which is a... a, Like hawk kind of bird? uh, Yes, but it's roughly twice the size of its closest living relative, the Swamp Harrier. It's now extinct. Uh, The other bird was Haas Eagle which is possibly the largest predator of the Holocene era, or the Anthropocene, oh, wow. of the largest aerial predator, I should say. Uh, these were these eagles used to feed on giant emus, which can grow to be 12 feet tall. Wow! And, and in Maori oral tradition, these birds would actually carry off babies if they got the, if they got the chance. Oh, no! Um, when the Maori hunted the emus to extinction, uh, pretty much did for the, the Haas eagles in this case. Mm-hmm. But, but this makes sense for the kakapo as a species. Uh, in their prime, they were actually the third most populous bird on the islands. Very successful. Even with all of our random fuckery that we described as their mating rituals. <laughs> they're, they were able to make it work because their plumage blends in perfectly with their surroundings. Mm. And their defense mechanisms are jumping out of the tree when something notices oh, them. Fair. And freezing in place. All right, I take it back, Karkapo. That sounds pretty smart. You know what does not work against rats, cats... Stoats, weasels, or people. Everything they've evolved to do over the hundreds of thousands of years. You have it right. Mm, no. <laughs> These poor things. Uh, quoting one hunter from 1899, um, Kakapos were extremely desirous, and the best way to go after them was, quote, they could be caught in the moonlight by simply shaking the tree until they fell to the ground, like apples. No. <laughs> Guys, I feel like we've encountered the bird version of a panda. A little but, bit, yeah. But I feel like they at least had shit figured out. Pandas have a carnivore stomach and do not eat meat. Yes. Yeah. Which means they have to constantly eat, otherwise they get zero nutrition. Yes. At least in this way, cockapows, I feel like they they had a good intentions. Yes. Pandas did not. I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> uh, so the Maori treated the kakapo initially as a somewhat comet dietary staple. Again, these are fairly easy to catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they got rarer on the islands before human settlement, they transformed into something of a more 
delicacy to the diet, mm-hmm. not less commonly encountered, but still uh, fairly populous on both North Island and South Island. Um, we still have a few cloaks made entirely out of kakapo feathers, oh, shit. which Whoa. takes about 11,000 fle- feathers a cloak. Uh, I'd emphasize that these are extremely important to the Maori today and are still considered national treasures wow. uh, for the ones that we still have in existence. When the Europeans arrived in the 1840s, uh, predation, of course, stepped up both intentionally and accidentally, and habitat destruction didn't help either. And again, these birds are classic examples of a species that requires old-growth forest. Uh, Rimu trees are also very Mm slow-growing, and if that's the key to your reproductive cycle, Mm. it's very difficult to spread to new areas without waiting out the centuries. So... Bearing all that in mind, Kakapo numbers started plummeting really in the 40s, and then it kept going from there. Around 1870s, they were officially described, and unfortunately, as is often the case both then as now, when scientists discover a new oddity in the natural world, Mm -hmm. it becomes extremely popular. And what didn't help with the Kakapo's decline was the fact that thousands upon thousands of them were then immediately hunted for uh, dioramas, uh, taxidermy. Ah! Of which, again, we still have hundreds, if not thousands, of these animals in Europe as taxidermy samples. Wow. Or straight up for pets or for zoos, which is especially I like to say, my socks hurt nobody. People, <laughs> if you become obsessed with an animal, just get socks with their picture on them. Do not go out and kidnap them. Yes, don't. Kakapo nap them. Friendly PSA from the podcast, don't kidnap a, a kakapo. Which is important because this was the third question on Google I found. How to? How to? Can you own a kakapo as a pet? Aww. No, no, people. no, you cannot. <laughs> Stop it. We thought they may have been extinct. Um, there were still fight sightings well up into the 1920s. They probably went extinct on North Island. They existed on South Island probably into the early 1980s. Okay. Uh, and this is in spite of a conscious recovery program that began in the 50s in earnest. There were multiple efforts to transfer these survivors to islands off the coast of New Zealand where it was thought they could be better managed. The first couple efforts failed because, as it turned out, these islands already had rats, cats, or other predators on them. So what really finally kicked off their survival and recovery, hopefully, has been essentially clearing these islands of predators first. Good. A conscious, concerted effort is made to kill every cat, rat, weasel, otherwise... I mean, it's a little sad, but... Well, we can kill the rats. I don't care about that. But yeah, but, kidding. like, certain things don't belong in places. But it's also hard because we, we are the ones the who place. put them there. Exactly. True. Like, um, it's not their fault. Like, eradicate. we can be mad at them. Relocate. True. But but, but to quote another New Zealand scientist, mm-hmm. at current rates, cats are likely responsible for the death of 26 million indigenous birds to New Zealand every year. Oh, and how many surprised. are they responsible for in the U.S.? But it, but it's a mis- if you're going to argue that, that this is an animal that belongs outside because that's part of of its natural cycle. Oh, I'm not uh, I simply that. ask that that's to the listeners. I simply <laughs> ask that you accept the consequences for that. They're not a natural creature. They're not yes. part of a natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they predate on these animals simply makes them invasive and nothing else. Yes. This is why we invited Dan. Yes. <laughs> to to get back to our cacapos because things are better than they used to be. At their lowest point, the animal uh, adult population dropped to the low 60s. Okay. And there was a serious chance that they were going to go extinct in the 90s. That has fortunately not occurred. They've they've now been spread to three islands successfully off the coast of New Zealand. Okay. Um, I'm going to try my best to get this right, and you're going to get to listen to me failing again. When Huaho, or Codfish Island, Tahaturu Otoi, or Little Barrier Island, and Anchor Island. That one was easy. I like Anchor Island. 
<laughs> well done. I, I gotta say, it didn't sound like you struggled. The the long term goal is to eventually reintroduce them to the mainland, but mm. until then, there are a few other islands in the running. Uh, each island in this case can support about a hundred kakapos, Ooh. which is not. It's it's a lot in a relative sense because the current population is at two hundred and eleven. So it's wow. half the population. Yes, that's a, it's about as high as it's ever been at, in our, in our yeah. current study rounds. Since we started keeping track on their numbers, it's never been better. And that's not long-distance recovery at a slow rate. Last year, they had a bumper crop of 71 chicks that actually made it to juvenile age. Whoa! And then what happened? I'm still going. They're, that's impressive. They, then this is in spite of the fact that a fungal infection hit one of the islands. Oh. So they are still not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Literally. They're just stuck in those branches. Yeah, otherwise... So shake a tree, you'll find them. <laughs> They're just going to fall right out. It's fine. I like I like picturing them sort of landing like Archimedes in sort of the stone where there's just like oh. a thud. Like a very undignified heap yes. of feathers. I, I think I should probably leave it there. I don't want to try and quote something if I don't have it quite right. But all I would say is that these are remarkable birds and... New Zealand has really put an amazing amount of effort to try and keep them alive. New Zealand is very proud of their unique wildlife. Uh, I remember last season we talked about the kiwi bird and the efforts that not only they have done to try to uh, conserve their habitat, because kiwi birds aren't, I think maybe they're threatened, they're not, they're not uh, endangered, but they've also taken on kind of the unofficial role of national bird, national symbol, so they're very proud of what they have and I think New Zealand is a very progressive country it seems if you're a New Zealand listener hey what's up we appreciate you round of applause for Dan we don't want to hurt our listeners ears it's the <gasps> most delicate thing oh uh, I'm so glad you did the, you did such a better job than I ever would I again I have a pair of socks I'm very proud of my pair of socks <laughs> they're good socks um parrot uh, socks my parrot <laughs> your no. parrot socks ah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so cool. Super dope. I love whining about new things. I'm all about it. We've been wanting to do that parrot for a long time. I I feel like he, he comes up a lot. I I was worried that I was going to like break a recurring joke after earlier this evening (laughs) when you brought it up again and I was like, ah, shit. No, no, it's great. Thank you, Dan. You have anything? You took a big burden off of our shoulders because we kept talking about it. You took a big burden. Right, guys? Right, 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 guys. So I can go now, right? Yeah, get out of here. Leave while you can. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay, I feel like you've seen what I've, I'm doing. I literally haven't. Okay. So did you think of the animal before today? Yes. Okay. Right. That's something. Yeah. Actually, so I will start with, I couldn't decide what animal I wanted to do. I was torn between, and I'll tell you which, but I won't tell you which one I chose. I'll tell mm. Tell us which one you didn't choose. I'll tell you all the animals I didn't choose and a quick fact about each of them. I almost wanted to do the pygmy seahorse, which Aww. is about the size of a grain of rice or, uh, you know, almost an inch in size. And they were recently rediscovered in like 2018. Oh. So we didn't know. We thought that they had vanished. I also was thinking about doing the Tibetan fox, which oh my God. Is, always looks like it just heard a dad joke. It always looks. It looks re- like someone drew, like if you're like, draw a fox. And then they drew oh, a fox with a human face. Guys, mm. it's it's the most scholarly looking fox. It's it looks so like weird. it's a wise old sage. Oh, Google God. Tibetan fox. I feel like you'll curse your family. They live on the high Tibetan plateau. I think they're so creepy looking, no? Oh, I love them. He's real fucking serious. Oh, God. Um, And I also thought maybe I would do the silver-backed chevrotain. 
Ah, Shep- yes. I knew Dan would know that one. So it was feared extinct. Uh, 99.9% of the world don't know that this animal exists. It is a deer-like creature with yes. fangs yes. that is the size of a rabbit. It lives in Southeast Asia, specifically in the mountain oh. ranges along the Vietnamese border. Exactly what I was about to say. We just caught it on camera traps. I think yes, the, the on only, camera traps. Yeah, the only previous five were like from 1920 or something. Oh. Ages ago, yeah, yeah. This was recently rediscovered, I think this oh. year or last year. Is it a, is a kind of mouse deer? Yeah, um, kind of. But getting back to our theme, actually Sorry. a major point of concern has been uh, biologists were worried. One, they, unlike many previous papers, they no longer published the coordinates of where the find happened or where the camera mm. trap was. Because as much as they want people to be able to repeat this research and learn from it, they're even more concerned that this will attract poachers. Oh, God, I hate poachers. Well, that was like when I was in South Africa, I remember you would go to like the different camps and mm-hmm. they would have a board of like sightings of animals and they couldn't put up the sightings of rhinos anymore. Wow, yeah. It's too risky. Yeah. So those are none of the, those are all of the animals <laughs> I didn't choose. Now <laughs> let's guess what you did Now choose. let's guess what I chose. First, it's an amphibian, guys. I knew it was that because Dan was like, if I did like mammals or birds or something, or like reptiles, and then you're like, that's nothing I'm doing. I'm like, oh, Maggie's doing an amphibian. Is it a hellbender? <laughs> no, I damn it. I should have done too. that. That's uh, my favorite amphibian. That's another one we've been talking about doing for a long time. Ugh. There's just, they're, I feel like they're really heavily researched. So there's just like a lot about them. Yeah, there's not a ton on what I researched. Um, right, so they fire. are found uh, along the southeastern U.S., along the Atlantic coast and Canada. Not Florida. Hmm. My notes were in all caps. That's why I shouted at you. And they follow the same trail to the vernal pools in which they hatched as eggs every year to mate. Hmm. And it's an amphibian? And it's an amphibian. Dan, you're the expert here. I can give you the Latin name if you think that'll help. Oh, Probably let's, let's try it. It's fun to think it will. Ambistoma maculatum. It's a great name. What's it mean? I didn't look that up. No, no. I'll look it up. Ambistodum. Ambistoma maculatum. Red throated lizard. Red leather. Oh wait, that's red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Say it three times fast. It's so fun. She's not the thespian, folks. Uh, it is not a frog. I did a frog already this salamander? season. Salamander? It is a salamander. You're allowed to do more than one frog. No, you're not. Sorry. This is Yellow belly. but I'm, I'm also Tiger on your way. Tiger. No. That's all I got. Red bellied. I, th- I think we're going to have to give it up. It is a yellow spotted salamander. <gasps> I wasn't. I, I can actually picture that. close. Uh, and by yellow spotted, I meant it is a spotted salamander. <laughs> Does it have yellow spots? But it has yellow spots. Typically, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so they live a long time. They live up to 20 years. As I oh. said, they're found in forests along the uh, eastern the U.S. Coast. coast. But not Florida. But not Florida. That was just in the research. Hmm. Not Florida. Um, Very stern about it. They can grow up to seven inches long, which is actually rather large for most salamander species. It's no hellbender. It's no hellbender, though. Uh, females are larger than males. Ooh. So to des- describe them in coloring, they are usually black, brown, or dark gray on top with a lighter gray underbelly, and they're covered in not yellow spots all over. They're not like a Dalmatian. They have rather two parallel lines of oh. yellow spots. Hmm. 
And this is to help them camouflage because they are found under logs, near streams, and often in leaf debris. Mm-hmm. So it helps them to to Trying to like break hide. up their, their silhouette. It looks like a bit of a dried leaf or something mm. with the shadows and whatnot. So a little bit more specifically, in, in not just in terms of location, but they're found in temperate hardwood and mixed forests. They live near swamps, freshwater ponds, or vernal pools. Vernal meaning springtime. Springtime. Uh, which they actually need those pools for breeding. They, as I said, hide in leaf litter, under fallen wood, and in tunnels. Uh, they're most likely... This is the... Ca- cha- this is the case for most salamanders, I think. They're typically only found by those who want to find them. Ah, you got to be on the lookout. Yeah, you got to lift up that log. Yeah. So the camouflage is actually successful. It is. Sense. It's rather successful. They're doing their job. These salamanders have a couple different life stages. They start as an egg, and then they go into larvae, juvenile, and adult. I wrote juvenile as juvie. <laughs> Most no, everybody like needs idea. some time. I like the idea of like these tiny like juvenile oh criminal God. salamanders. Criminal salamanders, but, like small, really angsty, moody yes. teenage salamanders. Very much Standard so. Jumpsuits. Um, it, their spots are not orange, Dan. Uh, they have little tiny knives. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So tonight when I was at a happy hour, yeah. I, um, Why did this? Re- what? Just wait. Okay. So Uh-oh. we sat down and I pulled out the chair and I heard a big like metallic thunk on the ground and I looked down and there's a fucking pocket knife the size of my hand on the ground. It's no longer a pocket knife. It's not in a pocket. It was on the ground and I was like, <gasps> "This is not mine." Where did this come from? And then the table next to me was like, sure, it's not yours. And I'm like, can't you tell by how nervous I am that a <laughs> knife is just on the ground? It's not mine. So I like picked it up as if it was like a dirty used tissue that nice. wasn't mine, put it on the table. And then the waiter came over and I was like, can you please dispose of this? It's not mine. TSA, please. It was really weird. So I don't, somebody's missing a knife. Do you anyway. think he considered later in the night? He's like, mm, I wonder if I'm getting ready, to, getting rid of the accessory to a crime. <gasps> oh, rough. That's scary. Fuck, it's got my fingerprints on it. Yeah. But that's why I picked it up like a dirty tissue. Good. So that it's only a partial less, print. Less. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> she didn't do it. Whatever it is. Ay, ay, ay. Back to my juvie salamanders. Please, please. Um, so they lay their eggs in the water around springtime. And when they hatch, they have useless front legs, but a strong tail. And that will help them to swim around and get their food. Mm. When they're a larva in larval stage, they live strictly in the water, much like most amphibians, right? They have external gills and they will eat insects, fairy shrimp, and other crustaceans. Fairy shrimp? And they will also eat... They just sound cute. They will also eat their siblings. As one does. (laughs) Dan's an only child. (laughs) (laughs) Now. (laughs) When I met him, he wasn't. Oh, God. Both of you. Once they turn into adults, they eat earthworms, snails, slugs, mosquitoes, millipedes, centipedes, spiders, and other insects. So, you know, a lot of stuff. Diverse diet. Um... No? Okay. No, 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 it's very... (laughs) We were agreeing with you. It was just kind of like... Sorry, not a great comment. I agree. I just was reading the research that I just copied and pasted and didn't actually read prior. I was going to say, I think you know this. Another note that I found that I found... Oh, boy. Another note that I read, another note that I took that I read from some research that I found very intriguing was <laughs> having an aneurysm. I was going to say, is it a stroke, Mary? Something Mary? Mary? 
Why? Oh my god. Where did that come from? Damn, why did you put in the Baileys? Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to blame the gin That's tonic. all, folks. To reiterate, <laughs> no one is okay. We're all breaking down. We've all had better days. What were you saying, Mary? Mary, go ahead. <laughs> Introducing Mary. We switched Our up podcast special guest. It's my alter ego. Dan and Mary. You just need to, like, smash edit and then just carry on referring to her as Mary the whole time. Let's do it. Uh. Not say anything. People are like, her name's been Maggie for two whole seasons. Where'd she go? What happened to Maggie? She moved to Maine and they replaced now her with, with Mary. <laughs> I like it. Oh, my sides hurt. Okay. You gonna be okay? No. So, right. <laughs> the thing that I was trying to say yes. before I had a fit, these spotted salamanders will eat anything they can swallow. Which right. I find very impressive. Do they have prehensile lips? And, yeah. Yep, that's what I was hoping this would take, that direction. Very good. Oh we did um, it for you. Fun fact, they have a symbiotic relationship with algae. Oh. Because the eggs, when they are lain. Uh, laid? Is, I think lain is correct. L-A-I-N. I've never heard that as a word. When you, when you lay something down. But it's past. Yeah. Oh, it's just laid. So I laid an egg. The oh. eggs have been lain. That's what I That's in the yeah, context. Yeah, I think that I is the sure. context in which I left it. Stay in your lane. <laughs> so uh, once those eggs are lain, they contain algae, which will consume carbon dioxide, which is turned into oxygen to help the baby salamanders to grow. Very good. <laughs> Interesting. Laughing because the cat just jumped onto Ashley's computer oh my God. and they have stopped the recording. We're still recording because I was looking up Lane, so if anything, it just hindered my Google search. So in terms of their conservation, their populations are stable where they are found, which is great. However, similar to most animals in the fucking world, uh, they are susceptible to human expansion and development of the natural world, such as... Timber harvesting development, increasing number of roads near their breeding habitat, and, um, you know, other... Destruction of wetlands. Yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Do they have a sensitivity to salinity, or is rising sea levels going to affect this? Unlikely slash unclear. Okay. Um, Mm. So they are, however, most salamanders, like most, if not all salamanders, they Mm -hmm. are very... um, Sensitive to their surroundings. Yeah, thank you. They're very sensitive to environmental toxins, acid rain, changes in water availability. So maybe, Dan, you are onto something. Because they live uh, in coastal areas, they could be affected by changing sea levels and changing salinity in the coasts. So what is also rather impressive about these salamanders, and I, I think I mentioned this early on, is that every year they return to the same pools in which they were born mm-hmm. to go mate and lay eggs and they follow the same pathways Philopatric behavior thank you this is why we invited dan get out of here dan no stay you know too much um but but this is this is um can you say that phrase again so uh philopatric uh behaviors are when the animal returns to the same habitat or migratory roots uh Year after year. Uh, this is actually very common in animals like belugas, for instance. Or like birds. Yes. So this is or very... Or salmon. 
Yeah. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> Wanted to participate. <laughs> So guys, this is actually very important all across the animal kingdom. And we just named mammals, amphibians, and birds. And it's probably nearly every type of animal in the kingdom there. But think about it. If if their migratory routes or their breeding grounds have been changed or interrupted by a parking lot or by a scar- skyscraper or have just been pavemented over they aren't going to know what to do mm-hmm. and that therefore causes the degradation and destruction of these species. So something that I, I actually want to refer back to because we talk a lot about human expansion is causing the decline of so many animals around the world. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are probably wondering, what can I actually do about that? I'm not a developer. I'm not the person responsible for this. Well, about 10 years ago, my parents were looking to spend half of their retired life down in Florida and half in Pennsylvania. And for a time we grew up in Florida, I grew up in Florida, but they wanted to sell that house and like get their own property. They bought land and they were debating building on it. And my mom was like, boy, I I just don't know. Like, do we want to do this? And I had said to her, why do you need to build a new house when there are plenty of homes out there especially ones that probably fit what you're looking for. And my parents, for whatever reason, thought that that was a good way of looking at things. Mm. And they ended up donating the land that they had purchased, which was a couple acres, to a local wildlife preserve. Mm. And they ended up purchasing a house in a neighborhood that was already built. Mm. So I know a lot of people our age are starting to think about home buying. And it's really attractive to build your dream house and customize it. But... Why not consider looking for something that's already been made? There are so much development already existing. Maybe that's a really cool impact that you can look back on when you're raising your family and say, nope, we actually, you know, decided to do this to help our local environment. And then you create a really beautiful backyard that's appropriate for whatever local species you have. I don't know. So I think, you know, we're always talking about what humans are doing wrong but there are ways you can do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess just to build on that point, because I, th- I think that's a really excellent suggestion, uh, especially if you're just trying to think about this in, at the micro level where you can make a difference. When you're considering your house, whether it's a property that you're buying directly uh, or or if you do so choose to go down the route of building your own, it's start with a cursory inspection of what animals are in the area. Yeah, and, absolutely. And especially if you are potentially a host or could be a host with the right changes to endangered or vulnerable wildlife species. A lot of conservation groups in this country, but especially uh, speaking from previous experience, the National Wildlife Federation will offer to certify yards or other habitats that actually do qualify as good wildlife habitat. My parents have that in their backyard. They have certified wildlife wildlife habitat and bird habitat in their backyards. Super That's cool. so awesome. National Wildlife Federation. And so the, the quality may not always be on par or the, the experts that they have may not be perfectly suited to your environment, but they will probably give it their best shot to try and help you make sure that you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So incorporating that into your life decisions is simple. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. And there are people out there who can help you do it. Yeah. And I also think just, I so I saw a play called Native Gardens that was really good. And it was a whole, there was a bigger concept, but like the general idea was that this one family moved in and they wanted to plant an entire garden of just native plants, whereas 
the, a couple next door had like a very manicured lawn of like all these different species that were brought in that aren't native to the area. So if you do have a house, if you do have a yard and you want to, you know, beautify it, plant native species so that way those animals that are usually migrating through have things to migrate have you know nice little hotels to stay at places that they Absolutely. can actually stay and afford yeah, like totally native, planting native species goes a very long way and i personally think it looks prettier also pick a fight with your homeowners association if they say otherwise because they can go fuck themselves <laughs> yeah! i think that's the first time dan swore <laughs> yes which is surprising it. based I love on it. how this has been going we can officially put that e on our Woo! podcast oh, i keep forgetting episode. to put that oh Okay. So I think this was a really excellent episode, guys. Yes. This has been a lot of fun having you, Dan. It's always fun having you around, but Likewise, especially talking about animals, our favorite thing, and drinking. Yes. <laughs> yes Two yes, of yes. our favorite things. Just a reminder, guys, though we are enthusiasts, all of us included, uh, we are not exactly scientists. We've got our own levels of expertise, but biology ain't one of them. So... We're just trying to get you excited about animals like we are. Do your own research. Don't cite us in your academic work. All and right? don't buy a kakapo for a pet. No. Please fucking don't. Thank you for joining us on yet another episode of The Watering Hole. Tune in next time when we learn about more animals, their basic biology, threats they face, and what people can do about it, you included. <gasps> Bye. <laughs> Don't and know how communication. To, don't know. <laughs> and, and we learned how to and, properly communicate. We all looked at each other like, who's going to say goodbye? <laughs> Someone, someone's got to say it. Bye-bye. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs>